Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. My name is uh, Gene Olexen. I'll be your moderator today. Just a few quick reminders. Uh, everyone knows these, but uh, we go through them just in case there's a someone here that isn't familiar with how things work at SACPA. If you have any cell phones or uh, other beeping devices, could you please turn them off? Lunch will be $10. Place it in the basket on your table. As you know, SACPA is a nonpartisan organization. It's a volunteer organization, and uh, we work through memberships and donations. And if you wish to upgrade your membership or renew your membership, make a donation. Lisa's over here. We'll take that, handle that for you. We'd like to thank our partners, University of Lethbridge, Country Kitchen Catering, Shaw TV, Lethbridge Media, for covering our SACPA sessions. Today, our speaker will be Winston Gerlich. Winston worked for the Alberta Federation of Labor and the Alberta Union of Provincial Employees in Canada in the areas of research, education, and public relations for over 25 years. In 1999, he moved to the Athabasca University where he served as academic coordinator for industrial relations and human resources programs until his retirement in 2009. Winston has a master's degree in educational philosophy and is a member of the Alberta Labor History Institute. I won't take any more of Winston's time. I'll have him come forward and uh, he'll give us our our talk today, and then we'll have lunch, and then followed by questions and answers later. So, Winston, if you could please come forward. Okay, and I just see. Well, thank you for coming to listen to this. I've run into a couple of old friends already. I uh, think it's uh, really important that we talk a bit about labor history, which is, I guess, why I'm here. Uh, my background's not in history, it's in philosophy, and uh, I then spent most of my life working for the trade unions. Go figure how that happened. I, I, I'm still trying to figure that one out. But here I am. Uh, I'm with the Alberta Labor History Institute. Oh, it works, great. Uh, which was a group that a bunch of us, over-the-hill trade unionists, professors, some librarians and museum people put together uh, because we thought that it was really important to start talking about labor history. So we uh, dedicated ourselves to collecting labor history, to collecting things that would be classed under the title labor history, and to preserving them and to disseminating them, talking about them, just like this. And so we collected most of our stuff firsthand. We have it on a website. Uh, we keep the website as kind of a repository, a sort of a place to keep everything that we gather, including all of the oral history. And there's me pinning a microphone on a nervous-looking young lady. Okay. Uh, 
We believe it's important, and I give lots of lectures to trade unions and working people outside of trade unions about how important it is that we remember our history. And, of course, there's all kinds of pictures that I could have used there, but since I'm Ukrainian, I choose to use this picture, which I just showed this last week to a class in Jasper Park Lodge because that rock is right across the lake from Jasper Park Lodge, and that's where an internment camp stood during the First World War where a lot of my people the first wave of Ukrainian settlers found themselves because they had Austria-Hungarian papers and they didn't have a job or a farm and they were generally thought to be the kind that would cause trouble. So they were interred in lots of uh, internment camps and uh, just a while ago a group of people thought that it was important that we remember that. As I told the reporter from Shaw TV, people who don't remember that sort of history are suffering from amnesia. And just like people with amnesia, they're highly vulnerable to anyone that comes along with a story. The same goes for communities and organizations. If you don't know your history, then you are vulnerable. And also, you don't ha have any basis upon which to go forward into the future. And knowledge of history is key. Trade unions and labor organizations and workers' organizations in general have not been very good about collecting their own history, and I have been devoting the last part of my life when I was a professor and now that I'm a retired person to going around and telling them to start doing that. This was a good example. I went to the University of Alberta for far too many years. In fact, the group planted a tree in my honor. It was a nice warm place in the winter. And I got a few degrees, and uh, then I spent time also playing pool and bridge and political organization. But anyway, let's leave that aside. The fact of the matter is that this book was published on the 100th anniversary of the Alberta, uh, I'm sorry, the University of Alberta. And it's a really good book in many respects, except it doesn't have a single word devoted to the 5,000 workers who work there. There's a lot about the professors, who are also workers, there are the sports teams, the visiting dignitaries, the events that mark the history, but they completely ignore the workers. And that's a very, very serious uh, deficiency that unfortunately marks the kind of history that so many people are subjected to, including, I suspect, the people of southern Alberta. Okay? We end up telling the story. We end up telling about the glorious things Quite often we end up talking about the dark side, the other side, the side that uh, we don't talk about if we want to stay in the Victorian book of good manners. You know, you don't, uh, trade unions violated one of the Victorian rules, and that is that you don't talk about money. Polite people don't talk about money. The other thing is this sort of thing. The child labor is a theme. The treatment of women is a theme. We can go to various themes. The, you know, the kids that came out west on the orphan trains, huh? The, you know, uh, came out and many of them were found, you know, they came out which was a good thing because many found good homes. Many were, put, men, many were put to work. We know that. We know that about the British children in the Second World War. Um, and so we end up talking about that and kind of uh, breaking the harmony that uh, surrounds many people's lives when we do, the Japanese who were dispossessed and moved out here in the Second World War. We'd sooner forget about that. Uh, when we tell labor history, we remind people of that kind of thing, not just to dredge up bad stories, 
but to remind people about the kind of things that we have to be on guard against, I suppose, as we make our way into the future. And so, you know, for many people, the long struggle towards a decent life started when they came to Canada. My mom and dad came to Canada just before the First World War, and they disembarked from a train that looked very much like that one at Strathcona Station in Edmonton. And they went out to the farm that didn't look at all like the beautiful British farms that the CPR had pictured on its posters. Quite different. <laughs> Mom had 15 children and used to spend her time chopping trees, you know. Yeah, and then down here you had the coal miners. And a lot of our people who, who bought homesteads went to work in the coal mines to raise some money. So they left the, the, uh, the women at home with the children for the winter. And they were at the basis of... Off the, uh, they were uh, at the basis of the trade union movement, but also just the basis of so much that we have in our communities today. And people have to be reminded of that. That's a picture of the Corbin mine. And, of course, the coal miners. You know, we often talk about people. We forget that when industry, you know, so much talk is about investment, but quite often when investment is made, it's made without a thought of what would happen to the workers. We would only have to go up to Fort McMurray around the time that the oil sands plants were being established to see the mess that was established there. But here's some workers in the building boom days in Edmonton living down in the area that's now Victoria Park, and many of them lived that way. Of course, when you show that to people in Fort McMurray, they say, what's changed? <laughs> and so the, it was really a struggle. The kind of decisions that were being made by decision makers, sometimes far away, which the historians seem to be enchanted with, you know, the mainstream historians, you know, ignored those kind of conditions. And the fact that the decisions that were being made often had nothing to do with the welfare of the people being affected and their communities. Um, I'd like to talk about a lot more, but I can't at this moment. Really, workers formed organizations as a way of becoming part of that decision-making process. And some of the early organizations were much more radical than the trade unions that you see today. The uh, industrial workers of the world, uh, which then morphed into the one big union. So they started about 1905, where they were very strong in this area with the coal miners and the railway workers and those kind of people. And then in uh, 1918 and 1919, they reappeared again as the one big union. And they demanded a voice. And look, those are the opening lines <laughs> of the Constitution. Sounds something like the Occupy movement today. The working class and the employment, employing class have nothing in common. There can be no peace as long as hunger and want are found amongst millions of working people, and the few make up, and the few that make up the employing class have all the good things of life. That's the way it starts. Uh, and the, that kind of talk, of course, uh, excited the government. And there was a young labor lawyer by the name of William Lyon Mackenzie King. There you have the employer's negotiating team appearing on motorcycles, okay? Uh, that, during the 1906, uh, there was a series of strikes throughout the mines here and the railways. Uh, and uh, the Fed, the air, this area, southern Alberta, which is so often thought to be the area, you know, redneck Alberta, don't even talk about a trade union down here. It was the area in which 
uh, industrial action, you know, was the highest in Canada. And it basically was responsible for starting the kind of uh, framework for labor law and for labor law administration that exists today. Because William Lyon Mackenzie King um, became Canada's first deputy minister of labor in 1900 when strikes caused the Canadian government to form a department of labor way over there in Ottawa. And in 1906, when the strikes broke out in the coal mines here against the Galt, against the Galt industries, they, you know, there, was a, there was a series of Galt companies and they had the coal mines. Then William Lyon Mackenzie came out here quite often. William Lyon Mackenzie King came out here quite often, and he came up with the first, really, the first really interventionist labor act, the Industrial Disputes Investigation Act. There were a couple of acts before that. I've got to watch what I say, because Professor Ian McKenna is here, uh, McKenna is here and, he's, and he knows about this stuff too. Don't say anything. We'll talk about it later, Okay. <laughs> And that formed the basis for our labor law. There's uh, when Sir Wilfrid Laurier and his liberal government were defeated in 1911. Uh, William Lyon Mackenzie King was looking for a job, and he found one with Nelson with John D. Rockefeller because he had some problems. His security guards had just killed a whole bunch of miners in Ludlow, Colorado. And so William Lyon Mackenzie King was invited down there to apply his industrial relations knowledge to the situation over there in the far on, the, on that side is John D. Rockefeller, the guy in the middle who's smiling is William Lyon Mackenzie King. He said, you have to do things like give them Christmas turkeys and dance with their wives. Okay? He appeared again. He was re-elected prime minister when Canada booted out R.B. Bennett in the 30s. And in 1939, he visited Germany right in the eve of the war. And there he is with a few of his friends. And, they, and he especially, no, it's not all bad. He really thought that Hitler and his administration did a good thing with labor law and with labor administration because they started these industrial councils and they insisted that the purpose of the councils was to ensure that you had labor peace. And that pretty well stands for what William Lyon Mackenzie King, I'd better hurry up, agreed, you know, believed in. Because when Canada got its first real major you know, the framework for collective bargaining in Canada in 1944. War Measures Act, called Privy Council Order 1003. We were still under the British crown at that time. Okay. Then uh, it just reflected word for word what he said in 1906, what he said when he visited Nazi Germany, and that is that the purpose is to find some way to keep labor peace. And the trick, of course, is that you suspend the dispute using every strategy at your disposal. Okay? And that's pretty well what we do today. Okay? Now, people will patronizingly admit that workers built this province. What they don't know is the difference the trade unions made. And since I don't have much time, I'll, I'll just run through about 10 slides here without even talking much about them. Trade unions, by negotiating a collective agreement have done a lot of things. They have basically said, there are some decisions that we're going to have a hand in making. All of the decision-making won't be on that side. And so when unorganized workers look at a ta typical table of contents for a collective agreement, they're surprised at how many decisions the workers did have a hand in. And as I always remind people who complain, well, I see an employer's signature at the bottom of this, you know, 
you know, just the basic conditions for dignity and respect. When the United Nations Charter was drafted in 1947 and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights the year after, they talked about the need for dignity and the need for workers to have dignity. You know, and a lot of the uh, rules uh, negotiated found their way in basic employment standards. So we had decent hours of work and various things and a living wage. I mean, in many ways, trade unions were one of the groups of organizations that gave us the middle class. Uh, I, I don't like that term, but it's partially true. It's a labor market, after all. So when gr one group is negotiating improvement, generally, that tends to lift all boats. The benefits, if you're a union, you have an 83% chance, if you're in a union, 83% chance of having a retirement or pension plan. Non-union, your chances are about 31%, and then all the other benefits. Workers' compensation, Unemployment Insurance Act, what we refer to as Canada's social security network. Trade unions had a lot to do with that. And, of course, the beautiful 60s when Lester Pearson was in and, and the NDP was supporting it in a minority government, a lot of stuff got pushed through, including Canada's Pension Plan Act. I receive a pension. It's not very much, but it sure is better than zero. You know. uh, Canada Health Act, uh, the precursor in 1966, uh, you know, trade unions had a lot to do with that. Health and safety, quality accessible daycare, which every politician has lied about since the beginning and continue to to this day and will again. Okay? So what better time to celebrate all of these achievements than on the 100th anniversary of the Alberta Federation of Labor, which was born here in Alberta in Lethbridge when a group of farmers and all these people got together the farmers, the railway workers, that marriage lasted even less than my first marriage. <laughs> because the uh, workers on the railways went on strike, and, they, uh, and very soon afterwards the farmers pulled out never to return. But they stayed in a loose formation with labor and with other progressive groups and formed the government of Alberta in 1921, which gave us some of the best labor laws and other laws that this province has ever seen. We'll see whether, what happens when the Wild Rose gets elected. Just joking. <laughs> as part of our project, as part of our project, we visited communities, and we've done a lot of oral history down here. I still have to interview a couple of people. I see Mr. Professor Campbell here today. I've got to interview you, sir, for, for our thing, because we keep the interviews on our website, and you can pull down a PDF file. We've got a lot of doctoral students, master's students using our stuff now, and I think it's good to have it there. Okay? Uh, we uh, collect artifacts. We go around and visit people. I'm so happy I walked into the Galt Museum, because now that we're working with them to do things for the celebration this year. Whoops. We're publishing a major history book. In fact, the launch is on February the 24th, 400-page book with pictures written as a social history, not just about the trade unions or other organizations, but about working people in their life. We are, we, we've done a lot of archival research uh, in places like that and practically every place where there are archives, and there's many. We've published a series of posters. And I'm particularly happy I did that because the chair of the funding agency for the Alberta government is in the crow's nest, and he liked our poster. And you're seeking funds. That's a good thing, in case some of you are wondering why you don't get any. Okay. 
we've got a topical booklet series. I just handed out one of them, the one on the Alberta Federation of Labor's History, and that's kind of a, that shows you the many twists and turns. So we just dumped off two in each uh, table, okay? We're publishing six of those. Then we've got a topical video series. We just, we posted two, the one on the temporary foreign workers, which is a recent one, and the one on the Alberta Coal Branch, which is a 12-minute video showing how workers built communities and all that. We ran into a fellow, John Mitchell in Hinton, who had hundreds of pictures. So he was able to take us to the side of the mountain overlooking the valley where not even a single building remains and talk about how, how communities were built right through that whole coal branch. Today, just the wind whistle, whistles through that area. Uh, we've done a lot of publicity. I consider this to be publicity. We are putting up displays in museums, libraries, and archives, and I'm pleased to say, Wendy Aiken is here from the Galt, that we'll be putting up, a dis they'll be putting up displays, I'm not quite sure what the arrangement is, because I chair all the committees, uh, in the Galt Museum and various other museums and archives across Alberta that look something like that, as well as a variety of other displays. And so that's the first time in my recollection that that's ever happened. We have a special Project 2012 website, and there's the address on which we post our stuff as it comes up. We have got, thanks to the historical societies, we have got great, we will have grade four to nine students working on labor history projects. So we sent this ad to SOS Magazine, and they very imaginatively put it below the picture of our premier, which I'm quite pleased about because uh, she appears to be smiling about the fact that we're celebrating our 100th anniversary, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Further in that SOS magazine, which every school child gets, there's a story about exactly how teachers can get their students working on labor history projects. Okay, We have events around Alberta, and there's going to be an, an event in Lethbridge on uh, May 4th. Maria Dunn is going to be presenting a labor history sort of musical concert. And the next day, the very active group here in Lethbridge is planning a whole day of affairs at the Galt, is it called? Gardens, right. Starting with a big banner display down the streets of Lethbridge. And we hope that's a media event, and we hope all kinds of people turn out. Uh, I'm just impressed with the number of events that they have going. They're taking care of the kids with all kinds of functions. There's something... What was they were talking about a jump last night, Wendy, weren't they? The play jump thing, yeah. You know, those sorts of things and things for adults and there might even be a little bit of beer. I don't know. Okay. Now oh, there's Maria Dunn who will present the concert here the night before on May the fourth at the Galt Museum. Thanks to them very much. And she'll be doing it. She'll be starting in Medicine Hat and working her way all the way through to northern Alberta, even stopping at Olds, Alberta. Okay. On the 16th of June, we're having a huge celebration of labor for which we've rented out Fort Edmonton Park. And uh, specifically, it'll be headquartered in the hangar, the old Blatchford Field hangar, which at certain points in World War II, Blatchford Field was the second busiest airport in North America, if you can believe that. Forget Chicago and New York. <laughs> it was. And now, of course, as you know, that airport is, is being mothballed and they moved the Blatchford hangar there. And we'll be having a full day of entertainment, speeches, 
various activities, kids' games, and on and on. It'll go until late at night, and we've rented the whole park out. We've collected money from trade unions so that the uh, entrance fee will be free. The entrance will be free instead of $15.50. So if any of you can make it to the May 5th function in Lethbridge or to this one and this one in Edmonton, please do. We may even have buses running. We'll put out a program guide near the end of, uh, of March. It'll be about 48 pages, and it'll feature everybody we're working with, including the Galt Museum and places like that. And so I've rushed through. Did I stay within my timeline, more or less? Oh, well, for goodness sakes. Okay. Well, I could go on if you want, but I won't. So, so uh, maybe we can entertain a few questions or a few discussions. I'd like to hear you people especially tell me, or at some point, if you don't get to tell me now, tell me about people and things down here in the area that we should be preserving and talking about. And as well, give me some views on what I said. Thank you. <laughs>